lots of lousy businesses. And there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning, Toronto, and uh, welcome to the show, Hi-Fi Radio, for our Mother's Day special. Gentlemen, boys and girls, you have time. Today is Saturday. you got all day to get ready to spoil your mom, and we're going to try to help you spoil your mom with today's show as we bring in some wonderful women uh, into the show to speak about uh, creating a charity, giving back, uh, building a business, running PR firms, all about women and how dynamic and amazing women just are. Of course, to kick off the show, we're going to be talking about the Canadian dollar with Jeff Blanco, head of foreign exchange. And right after him, we'll be talking about artificial intelligence with Matt Ramsey of Canaccord in America. So over to our good friend. Oh, and of course, I forgot to say hello to my friend, Jack Hartle. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Wolf. All right. So we're going to have a good show here today. Starting off with Jeff Blanco, Head of Foreign Exchange, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Good morning, Jeff, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me uh, at the show today. Yeah, you know, Jeff, it's interesting because Jack and I are portfolio managers. We manage uh, just under $200 million now on a discretionary basis for our clients. And, of course, clients always want to talk to us about stocks. Uh, And another topic that is of more interest to them than bonds is actually the Canadian dollar. So share with the audience to begin with, how big is the foreign exchange market globally? Um, the last BIS triennial survey in 2016 put it at about $5.3 trillion a day. Unbelievable. And, 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 and so that would obviously just overshadow uh, the equity markets, which I think they're tallying now. I don't know. Market cap yeah. of, of, of global equity is about $80 trillion, correct? Market cap. But in terms of trading volume, for example, on Toronto, equity trading on Toronto on a daily basis would be what, maybe 300 Billion? Yeah, I don't know. The total equity volume might be in the eighty to one hundred billion range. I'm uh, guessing at that. So. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you're certainly playing where the big boys and girls are playing, uh, slosh around big money. So, so share with us the the, the life of a foreign exchange trader and uh, what takes place and, and and what's catching your interest right now. Um, well, obviously, we try to guess the direction of the Canadian dollar properly so we can help the clients and uh, obviously uh, help ourselves out in that process as well. Uh, Currency has been a a a very hot topic for about the last two years now, um, especially in the investment community because it's uh, starting to play a bigger and bigger role in the returns of uh, both institutional and retail investors. And it's a good thing to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So, so when we're looking at the direction, I guess, of currencies there, Jeff, what are the key drivers for the uh, the Canadian dollar being the loonie? Well, the way we look at it is uh, currency markets are very dynamic and what impacts some changes as time goes on. So the way we look at it is... Uh, we, we look at the correlations of the Canadian dollar to various different factors on an ongoing basis. And uh, as time goes on, you'll see that rate spreads are a driving factor. Commodity prices are a driving factor. Sometimes it's general U.S. dollar strength in, that is a driving factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we try to find out what the driving factors are at that particular moment and try to find fair value for the Canadian dollar vis-a-vis that analysis is what we do on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, because certainly when, the Canadian, when, when oil was running, uh, the Canadian dollar became a petrol currency. Everyone spoke about it being a petrol currency. But yep. it, it certainly has lost a lot of that uh, correlation, I think, right now, because oil's 50 bucks. Uh, it's no longer 150. Uh, well, but, but now it seems to be moving on other factors. We actually look at 
Canadian dollar being a little bit undervalued at the moment vis-a-vis to oil prices at this particular point in time. You know, I'm, I'm um, a big Mac yeah. index kind of a guy. Um, <laughs> rate, rate spreads are the big drivers right now. And one of the big drivers of the U.S. dollar in general has been the, the idea of uh, rate and growth divergence from, with the U.S. to the rest of the world. And that's been a major factor. So, you know, the, the spreads that we look at um, have been a very important factor. So, so, so we saw just this today, actually, that uh, the markets at the moment are pricing at 100% probability that uh, the Fed raises rates next in, meeting, which is in June. Right. In the United so, States. Correct. Yeah. So how will that affect the, the currency market? That's, what price, do you expect? that's priced in. Um, what's more important is what's going to happen vis-a-vis the Fed dots and the actual market expectations looking further down the road. So everyone's expecting the Fed to go in in, um, in June. The big surprise will be if they don't. But that's Correct, as of, yeah. you know, it's about 97% priced in, I think, when I left the office, thanks okay. to the data this morning. <laughs> um, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. And then it's, what is the Bank of Canada going to do? You know, that's uh, that's a, a burning desire. There's no rate hikes priced in there until early 2018 at the moment. Sure. In the, in the short term, tell me something. With, with the big six Canadian banks getting a credit downgrade this week, uh, with the news of home capital, uh, all of this is shedding light on the Canadian real estate market. Has that had any impact this week on the Canadian dollar and to what extent? Uh, Absolutely. So the big speculators, especially south of the border, have tried this trade several times over the last year. They're looking at um, the housing market here is being overvalued. They're expecting a crash like there was in the in the U.S. in 2008. Mm-hmm. And uh, they think the banks are vulnerable. Because well, they think this home capital is like a bit of a Lehman Brothers canary in yes, the coal mine, don't they? That seems to be and the... I, uh, I, don't th- I, I'm, I don't think it is. Do you? No, I do not. Not it's at all. Not, it's, uh, it's a liquidity problem, not a solvency problem. And, uh, and has the liquidity problem been solved... You'd have to talk to the guys mm-hmm. at Home Capital about that. I'm not sure, but uh, they seem to be putting, you know, uh, safeguards in place at the moment. Uh, so I don't think it's going to be a huge factor, but the, I would say there's been some Canadian dollar weakness attributed to that. And you also talk about uh, fund flows. We were talking about that um, before we came on air, Jeff. Uh, just with the, the big deal with uh, CIBC and private bank corp closing. Um, how did that affect the currency markets on Friday? Well, expectation of M&A flow, and this is really tough to um, to determine when that flow goes through, but there's been a whole lot of M&A activity announced in the last six to nine months. There's been the Synovus deal, Alta Gas, Parkland, Canadian Natural Resources, now the CIBC deal. So that's been a factor for Canadian dollar weakness, um, for sure. And uh, you can see some divergence with the where the U.S. Canadian dollar trades vis-a-vis the dollar index in general. And it's, uh, I would say, um, Canadian dollars undervalued compared to that. So I had a couple dollar bears, loony bears, yep. share with us that they think the Canadian dollar is going to 50 cent. Okay. Do you think it's going to 50 cent? <laughs> um, I don't I, think it's going to 50 cent. I do not. Um, anything is possible. Uh, and actually, uh, in the shorter term, uh, we're actually viewing Canadian dollars being undervalued at this particular point in time. So we'd look. Well, what, what is fair value in your opinion? Uh, around, uh, in my terms, around one thirty-five. So what's that? About seventy-five cents or 75 something. Seventy-five. So yeah, because the old purchasing parity used to be eighty cents. Yeah, I go seventy-four back to cents. Seventy-four. I like the big Mac index. Take 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 your Canadian dollar, convert it anywhere around the world, and what's it going to cost you for a Big Mac over under the Canadian purchase? That's what you like to use. It uh, works for me, my good uh, friends. Uh, uh, a real pleasure to have you on the show, Jeff. We're going to have you back on. You're the newbie at Canaccord, but you're my friend, a veteran on the street of Bay Street, 30 years of FX currency ex- experience. A real pleasure. Coming up next, we're going to talk artificial intelligence with Matt Ramsey of Canaccord. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. 
Welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio. If you have any questions about today's show or financial questions you need answered, go to WolfgangKlein.com. And now, back to the show. Here's Wolfgang and Jack. Thank you very much for tuning into Hi-Fi Radio. We are going to talk artificial intelligence this morning. Matt Ramsey's on the line, Canaccord Genuity analyst. He covers those chip stocks and anything intelligent. Welcome to the show, Matt. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, what, what city are you in right now, Matt? I'm actually just north of Los Angeles in a little place called Thousand Oaks, California. I haven't counted the oaks, but they, they do have a few. So. <laughs> I'm jealous. We are jealous. You know, overcast, gray. Uh, yeah, no, jealous that you're in California, you lucky man. Well, that's cool. Hey, you know, that's, I guess, the place to be if you're in wine or tech. California's a good spot, so uh, good on you. So, so artificial intelligence, let's start with that. Where are we at in the AI cycle? Should we fear it? Where is it going? How real is it? And what does it mean to our listeners? No, it's a good question. I think we're in the very, the very early innings um, of, of computing for artificial intelligence. Um, there's always been a market for this. Um, it was small. It was typically government-funded, um, specialized computers or folks using graphics chips or signal processing chips to do certain types of artificial intelligence and data mining. What's really changed in the last, I don't know, two or three years is that the big cloud companies, think about Google, Facebook, Baidu in China, Tencent in China, Amazon, have decided that this is quite a means for sifting through the large amounts of, of huge consumer and customer data that all these companies have in order to make um, advertising decisions, do language processing, various things like that. And that's really increased significantly the funding towards AI computing research and opened up opportunities in um, autonomous driving and medical diagnostics and, and a whole slew of new markets. And we're just in the real early innings, not of the science, but in the application of the science into much more exciting areas that will have larger reach into society versus just the government-funded projects of the past. And I, and I think we're really early in that. We just spent the week meeting with NVIDIA, um, a, a company that's at the forefront of this from a chip um, semiconductor perspective. Um, the stock was the, the number one performing stock in the S&P 500 last year, and it is just at the forefront of their data center business, which really relies on artificial intelligence um, and, and that business has tripled each of the last three quarters and, but, uh, and really but, on a track. You're, you're brilliant. I love what you say, but hold that thought for one sec because i got a quick question for you. NVIDIA is a graphics chip company. My kid has a bunch, my children have a bunch of desktops that they're playing these awful games. Bad, bad stuff. <laughs> these <laughs> video games they're playing, but they're loaded with NVIDIA chips. So why is NVIDIA, and I, the connection here between artificial intelligence and a company that makes gaming chips, GPUs, uh, where, where's the bridge? No, it's a great question. Um, it, it turns out, in fact, that, that the computer science behind um, graphics computing, so think about uh, processing a whole bunch of graphics pixels on a screen for like, a video game. Like Call of Duty. Is very, <laughs> exactly. is very similar to the type of computing used um, to simulate a whole bunch of neurons or to decide how different air or, or water poly uh, particles might interact in a weather simulation. 
Um, so it's the same type of highly parallel computing that's always been used for graphics engines that's now being applied to a whole bunch of real-world problems in the areas of artificial intelligence. And, and hence, it's the best computing mechanism on the market today to unlock some of these these new markets, and that's why NVIDIA is benefiting. Unbelievable. So from chips to to AI, and, and you call it parallel computing. Uh, so what, what else is going on in this space that like, you, you tantalize our minds this morning? No, I think that it's the same kind of um, artificial intelligence computing and, and into new areas like autonomous driving. Um, NVIDIA announced this week a partnership with... Sorry, sorry they, 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 they test those in L.A.? You, you got a product on uh, with... They're testing them all over the all over the United States and and many different places in Europe. Because Toronto um, was just selected to be tested for by by one of those companies. I think it was Uber. Uh, just chose us as a yeah yeah. How, how about the changes that yeah, you're so seeing? That, how about the changes that you're seeing in the automobile uh, sector just with uh, NXPI uh, and some of the technology that's going on there and, and then that's going into our cars? No, it's a great it's a great question. The um, the, the Tesla has really invigorated. Um, R&D and risk-taking in the automotive industry towards computing um, and some of the things that Tesla has done. And now you're seeing the computing side uh, and the AI side of autonomous driving, recognizing objects, what decisions the car should make. That's an an area where NVIDIA, Qualcomm, who's actually in the process of buying NXP, um, Intel, those companies are leading the computing forefront. But the NXP business that you're, you're asking about, you need inputs to feed all of this computing. So um, LIDAR, radar, sensors, GPS chips, um, in-car networking um, to fly all that data around the car as it's being computing. Those are the pieces of the business where NXP really has lockdowns on the market as opposed to the computing angle where the bigger companies that I mentioned are, are battling it out for market share. I think Qualcomm's acquisition of, of NXP will, will give them a very solid position in some of the mundane but more at very equally important parts of the autonomous driving sensor um, portfolio going forward, and, and Qualcomm can add its digital expertise to the computing side. So it's a, it's a very exciting time, and I think um, autonomous cars, whether people are excited or scared of them socially, they're coming. Unbelievable. Matt Ramsey, Canaccord Genuity, chip analyst, a real pleasure. Enjoy your weekend in L.A. Uh, you're a good fella. Uh, coming up next, it is Mother's Day And that's the theme. So we're going to talk Canada Learning Code, a wonderful charity to help educate those who are being pushed out of the workforce by, for example, AI, right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. And did you know in the vast majority of the world's languages, the word for mother begins with the letter M. Hence, Mother's Day. And we all love our mothers. I love my mother. I miss my mother. She passed away a few years ago. God rest her soul. But boys and girls, spoil your mom. Tomorrow's the day. And so for the balance of the show, we are going to dedicate it to mothers and women. 
And we have a wonderful panel of ladies in the studio just to talk about how great they really are and the wonderful things you're doing uh, just to better society. Uh, Melissa is in the house right now. Ladies Learning Code, the co-founder and CEO of a non-for-profit organization teaching girls, ladies, youth, how to code. Hello. Hello there. Welcome. You're you're welcome. So tell us about what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, we teach beginner-friendly, hands-on coding workshops across the country. Um, So coding, for those of you who don't know, it's really how you program a computer to to do things for you. And and in this day and age where technology is everywhere, we think it's important that everyone has an understanding of how that technology works, and better yet, people have the ability to create and not just consume it. A story in the Globe and Mail. There will be a shortage of more than 200,000 IT communications workers in Canada by 2020. You know, we're speaking about artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. and robots putting us out of work, yet you're saying there's a shortage of programmable talent. Yeah, definitely. There's a shortage of those particular skills, like coders um, and developers in general. Um, And there's a huge underrepresentation of of women in those fields as well. So right now, about 25% of all these ICT roles are held by women. Um, So what we're trying to do is increase the representation of of women and and diverse groups in this space because work is is changing drastically and we need more people in the future of work. Mm -hmm. So so Melissa, how did you start your business? What were some of the challenges that you faced? Yeah, so we um, we were actually really fortunate. We started um, on really social media as a hashtag, Ladies right. Learning Code, and um, we were really propelled from the beginning. There was so much demand for our programming across the country. Um, you know, in the first few months, our workshops were selling out quicker than a, a Beyonce concert. Um, <laughs> they would fill up in about 30 seconds, and I think it just underscores the importance and the need across the country for technical skills, especially by women and young girls who, you know, they, they see the work around them changing or or, you know, they want to be able to participate online in an important way. So we were really fortunate that our growth was really has been really, really quick. Um, but we're a not-for-profit, and we're pretty scrappy, and so we're always, you know, struggling with, with the challenges of, um, you know, making things work, keeping the ship afloat um, while growing and meeting the demand uh, in, you know, different parts of the country. So this, this is a coast-to-coast operation? Yeah, we're in more than 30 cities across the country teaching um, women, youth, and educators. And so how many people have gone through your program so far? Over 60,000 have 60, gone through. 60,000 yeah, people six, zero. Yes. have learned to code through you. Yeah. I learned basic. They still use that? Um, not so much, but Am yeah. I dating myself? <laughs> a little bit. But, <laughs> like, I'm a pretty savvy no. guy. Yeah, we, we teach a lot of um, f- what we call front-end languages, so um, HTML and CSS, you know, WordPress. So, you know, a lot of the things that someone who may not be in, you know, tech role would use on a day-to-day, um, how to manage a, you know, website and, and your own blog. Can you help me with my television remote control at home? We could talk about that after. It's yeah. a nightmare. <laughs> Two and two, I got six, six remote controls. Yeah. We got to simplify. We have to, can, can you help us simplify our passwords? Uh, I have 18 yeah. passwords every month. I'm updating them. Yeah. Can we, you help with that? We can, we can figure out a way to maybe we can write some code that can help automate that for you. Can, will you send it to me? Yes. That'd be just wonderful. <laughs> so, so what kind of accreditation do the, the girls leave with after they've uh, attended your courses? So most of our programs, they're, they're really about experiential ec- extracurricular learning. So we're not about grades or, um, you know, any particular certificate. What we leave girls and women with is, some project so they'll have something to show for their work so whether it might be a game for young girls or a website that a woman has built during a full day workshop they will leave with a final product that they built during that that session you know i'll tell you something melissa when 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 jack and i did a little bit of research for the show we're looking at some of the top paid females in america and you know something the top paid females in america for the most part work in la and you know what field they work in 
technology. Mm. Unbelievable. Eh? From, from, from Hewlett Packard, yeah. um, uh, Mrs. Romney, uh, Mrs. Whitman, um, Mrs. Katz, uh, 14 women made the list for 2016 top pay compared with 17 year earlier. So certainly women, women's power in IT is there, it's real, and it's growing, and you're certainly aiding to that. So I want to congratulate you and thank, thank you, you uh, for everything you are doing uh, with this show. What else can you share with us about uh, what you're doing and, and, and how people can get involved? Yeah, well, actually, tomorrow, or actually, will be today, um, this this morning, um, today at one o'clock um, local time across the country, we're running workshops for women and um, their daughters. So it's a parent-child workshop. We're building um, games and stories together. Um, we'll have an opportunity to learn to code, and there's still spots in cities across the country if you want to participate. And we've got lots of programs um, to come across the country this summer and, and fall. So you can get involved in, and learn to code yourself. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, I'm sure they can find you on ladieslearningcode.com. Yeah. Uh, I wish you great success with the uh, with the program and uh, keep people the good faith. It's, it's fantastic what you're doing. Coming up next, we're going to learn all about running a public relations company uh, and at the same time raising a family and just being a wonderful person all around. Tracy Bachter from Paradigm Public Relations up next. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Welcome back to the Mother's Day special of Hi-Fi Radio. In the United States alone, Around 122 million phone calls will take place tomorrow on Mother's Day. Of course, wishing mom a happy birthday. <laughs> wishing mom a wonderful Mother's Day. So I guess if you do the math, uh, we would... Uh 10% of that, uh, well, you have a, millions of phone calls taking place here in Canada as well. Uh, I want to welcome Tracy Bachner to the show, uh, founder and president of a Paradigm Public Relations here in Toronto at Church and Bloor, and a wonderful list of clients that she is, of course, taking care of. Real pleasure to have you on the show, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Tracy, I've known you for a long time, and I've always, been, I've always admired you. I've always had a lot of respect for you because you are the quintessential sandwich generation. Anyone's talking millennials, forget it. Sandwich generations where it's at, because uh, you're a superwoman. You, you are a mother. Um, you are a loving wife. Uh, you have a son, correct? That's correct. Son, yeah. You you have your own public relations firm of uh, how, how many employees? We're thirty five now. Thirty five employees, uh, and it's the PR business to boot. That is a long houred low pay at the entry level. I know it. Uh, it's it's a tough business, but you got look at your clients. Toys R Us, Under Armour, Nutella. My daughter loves those little Nutella thingies, little oh, yeah. cuppings. Yeah, Every she loves, kid loves those. Oh my god, Banana Boat. That's an old client of mine, three decades ago. Timex watches, Schick. You you shicked me before. <laughs> so uh, this is this is impressive. How do you do it? Well, um, I I. I appreciate the intro, and I like the superwoman comment, I do, but I actually think this is fairly typical today. Um, if you look at a lot of the stats on um, women in work, it, I think the latest stats can info was that for families that are being headed up by couples and with kids under 16, about 69% of um, those families have two parents who are working. And of those, uh, three quarters of those families, uh, are those parents are working full time. So I think this is just the reality of where we are today, that, uh, that you do have most families are headed up by two people uh, who both work full time and, uh, and, and make that work. So I, I, don't, I, think, I'm, I think I'm just, uh, just, like a, just about everybody else I know. 
Well, in, in America, only a third of Americans now say the ideal scenario for raising a young family uh, is, is when the mother is not employed. So I, two-thirds, of course, uh, think otherwise. But, you know, when you live in these big urban centers, it's difficult, I think, to get by and keep up with the Joneses uh, on, on a single salary. Uh, but I think you have a lot of fun with what you do, too, don't you? Oh, I love what I do. No question. So I do it by... I do it by choice. I mean, yes, absolutely, you're correct. You live in an urban center. I think for the most people need two incomes in order to make that work. I look at my staff who are just starting out now with, you know, we hire a lot of young people who then go through all their milestones with us. They they meet a guy, they, uh, they get engaged, they get married, uh, they have kids, and somewhere along the way they want to buy a house. And they're having to move further and further outside of the city to do that, and it's becoming—it's just so hard for them. So I think the reality is, if you want to, you want to live that lifestyle, you do need two incomes for sure. Do you, do you think robo can put you out of business? Automation, artificial intelligence? Uh, I do not. I don't think it can. I think our industry is really about uh, relationships. So we're all and about ideas. It's absolutely ideas, concepts, creative ideas, but it really is about being able to find a way to tell an interesting story uh, about a brand. And that has to happen. Um, there needs to be a relationship to do that. And you can't do that through technology. Yeah. I think technology can help in a whole bunch of different ways, but ultimately it's, uh, this is a business of relationships. Mm-hmm. You're obviously a very busy, dynamic woman, uh, Tracy. I'm just wondering, how do you set your priorities? How do you how do you manage time? Uh, you've got a lot of commitments. How do you uh, how do you allocate your your time efficiently? I was at um, uh, the Profit Profit Magazine does the W100, which is the ranking of the most uh, you know the top female entrepreneurs in Canada. And I remember being at one of their events years ago, and the woman on the top of the list uh, was asked a very similar question about how do you make it all work. And her answer was that you can absolutely balance it all and make it all work. You just can't do it all every day at the same time. <laughs> so you make some choices. So that means that some days it's all about work, and some days it's all about making sure you're at the the soccer game or the recital or the practice, um, and and in fact, I'm I'm rushing out of here to do exactly that uh, today. So I think you figure out when you need to be in which place, and you need to make that happen at all costs. Um, but it it does mean that you can't be you can't be everywhere at once. You can't be the perfect mom and be at the school pickup and be at the important meeting. It just doesn't work. So you have to pick and choose. Sure, and you're you're also in a business with a lot of uh, females uh, that you're, that are, you're an employer for. Um, and with, with that comes the maternity leave, especially for, for young females. How do you deal with that as a businesswoman? Yeah, and that's a, a really important topic right now because as women are increasingly looking to rise and, and break more of the glass ceilings, that becomes harder to do when uh, if there's a stigma attached to maternity leave. Uh, for us, it's really important that we tell all of our staff, take the year, absolutely take the year off. When do you get those kinds of opportunities? Um, and then it's really about, from a corporate perspective, how do you bring women back into the workforce and make them uh, feel like they haven't missed any time away, um, that they are onboarded really quickly back in. So some of the things that we do is we top up maternity leave, even though we're a small company, because we think it's important that women should feel supported. And then we put programs in place when they come back to make sure they get the assistance and training and uh, information they need to be a success in their job when they return. Tracy Bachner, Paradigm Public Relations co-founder and president, uh, person extraordinary. And, and you know, I want to end on a note here, Tracy, because you're a mother, but you're also a daughter, and you take care of your father. Um, and, and that is a quintessential part of you being the sandwich generation. And not just, I think, I don't think you're just there with your love and your time, but you're also there, I think, financially supporting your, your elders. And, and, and you're not alone in that. But do you have any friends who are in a similar situation on that front in terms of the amount of care they, they, they provide to their parents, both uh, with time and with money? 
Oh, absolutely. I know a lot of people who are doing the sim- similar things, and and I feel actually very fortunate that um, I'm in a position that I'm able to do that, um, and that it's really great that I have the ability to be able to provide that kind of financial support to to family who needs it, um, and also be able to help and support and take care of my own family. So um, I actually think it's a really privileged place to be, and I think a lot of people that I know feel the same way. Oh, God bless you. Well, I have two boys, and I have a girl. I'll tell you, I'm glad I have a girl. Uh, Tracy Bachner, <laughs> Paradigm, Paradigm Communications. I want to thank you very, very kindly for joining us on the show, and happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you very much. Great. Coming up next, a woman who's going to bring mobility to those who are in wheelchairs, Sandra Longo, right after this. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Welcome back to the show. Please, just, please introduce you to Sandra Longo, a, women, a woman bringing newfound mobility to those who are wheelchair bound. A real pleasure to have you with us, Sandra. Thank you very, very kindly. Thank you very much. What an honor to be here today. We're sitting, we're sitting too far apart from each other. I don't know if we have a chair, an empty chair in between us. This is not good. We should get closer to each other here. Again, this is a Mother's Day celebration. That is why you're on. You are a mother. Yes. Uh, you're also a working mother. You work for Bell Canada? Yes, I do. But on the side, you have a charity where you want to bring mobility to people. Uh, I, I, I will be honest with you, uh, as I always am. Um, y- your story brought tears to my eyes in the middle of my work day. I'm trying to focus on the stock market, and my eyes just swelled up. I couldn't see my screen anymore. Uh, very, very powerful story. So please, I want you to share with us the, the, the creation of, of, of your charity, Navy Street Charity. What, what, what brought it to the forefront? Why, uh, how did it germinate? Ever since I was little, actually, I had the privilege of actually being raised by a paraplegic. So not many people get to talk about that. My mother was paralyzed when I was nine years old from a medical accident. So what was supposed to be uh, a joyous time for our family actually wasn't the reverse happened, which was the unthinkable. So not only did that impact my mother, she had four young children under the age of nine years old to raise. I was one of them. So she had to learn how to adapt um, to not only living her life from a wheelchair, but from the standpoint of not having any mobility from the waist down for the very first time at the age of 34. Your mother, sorry, your mother was in the hospital about to give birth to your sister. That's right. Right. Yeah. So please share, share that part with us. So back in 1984, my mother um, actually was excited to announce to us that she was going to have another child. And when she went into the delivery... Which would have been her, her fifth? Her fourth her, child. Or her fourth child. So when she went into labor and delivery, a medical accident happened during the medical delivery, or sorry, the labor and delivery process, and she was paralyzed from an epidural. And um, she literally lost all mobility, movement, everything from the rib cage down. So she is considered a complete paraplegic. So she has no feeling whatsoever or movement. And she had a newborn baby as well as three little children at home to raise. She was sent off to a rehabilitation hospital called Lynnhurst to adapt to her new life. So when she came home, in essence, I always said that she wasn't the only one that was impacted. Um, we were all impacted as a family. 
family. And as she came back into our home that was not accessible, there was stairs everywhere. There was um, obstacles everywhere that she went. But because I was her child, I had to actually reverse the role. And I had become the primary caregiver, not only to her, but... And, sorry, at what age? I was nine years old when this happened. So when she came home and she lived in a home that was not wheelchair accessible, we had about eight steps to get into our our front door as well as steps within the home, even into our family room. So I, through my own camera lens, watching her adapt at her age, learning to um, persevere in a wheelchair, I really learned Uh, what the obstacles were. So when she had a challenge and she couldn't get into our family room that had stepped down, it became my problem, my issue. And when you're a child, you actually can't leave the home without your parent. So it was my job, literally, to make sure that she could get out of our house. So I used to learn, which is very scary if you could see my size in person. I'm a very petite person today. You could only imagine how small I was when I was nine. We used to, my brothers and sisters and I, we used to learn how to balance her wheelchair literally on its big back wheels. And um, we'd take her down a few steps or lift her up a step or two. And not only was that, you know, scary for her, but it was actually very difficult for me. So I was always looking for ways that, you know, she could get into a space. If we'd go to a restaurant, for example, um, there's many times that I was in a back alley trying to actually find a way into the restaurant that my mother could get in because the front door had a curb or a step that she couldn't so it was very scary for me I was in a world that I didn't understand and especially when you're a child you believe that you believe in fairy tale endings and you know you watch all these Walt Disney movies where there's this great ending and for me um, I was introduced to a world that was scary and um, not anything that I knew about wow so so you're you're obviously uh, impacting and you're you're changing and you're affecting your ending uh, with this charity that you've started. So can you tell us what stage you're at with your charity at the moment? So we're at the very beginning. It's really an exciting time for us because we're building the foundation really strong. The goal for our charity is to really impact the community. Um, in Ontario and make a a good quality difference and turn a very personal sad story into something that's beautiful, not only for my family, but because I really understand um, the challenges and difficulties that everyone has that has mobility issues. I really do. Um, I've been preparing for this for my entire life. The goal is to donate portable wheelchair ramps into the community and make a difference. So we're at the beginning where we're creating the foundation really strong so we can encourage donations as well as volunteers and support and actually encourage um, people that need portable wheelchair ramps to apply to our charity so we can help them. And again, the, the, the name of the charity is? Is Navy Street Charity for Persons with Disabilities. Now, now I, I'm going I'm to help you out here because I think Jack spoke to you about this on air or off air, but, and, and he taught you something. And he said, Sandra, did you know that if a listener donates stock to your charity, they will get the full tax deduction uh, regardless of the capital gain built in. In other words, they would not have to pay any tax. For example, if they bought some stock in the Royal Bank uh, years ago at $10, the Royal Bank stock now is $90. There's a $80 capital gain. If they sold the stock, they're going to pay uh, the, the man with the beautiful hair about 25% of that gain. 
If they, on the other hand, donate that stock to your charity, they'll be able to get a full deduction for the full amount and basically get themselves a 50% refund. Uh, so uh, the other thing that people can do, I did not know this, is they can actually donate their RRSP to charity and basically nullify any tax that would have been owed on the RSP. So if they die with excess, have no heirs, Rather than paying tax and, and probate on the RSP, donate it in advance to charity, and all of a sudden there'll be no tax owing, and the charity will get the full value of the RSP. So, you know, it's Mother's Day, it's Hi-Fi Radio, and if we can save some tax and do some good, do we not all win? We all win. We all win. That's what it's all about. So I want to thank you very, very kindly for joining us on the show Uh Coming up next, we are going to talk about retirement living, the costs, what it means, and how we can really pamper mom uh, in her retirement home with Jenny Ma of Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Welcome back to the show, our Mother's Day special. Did you know $14 billion shall be spent on mummies tomorrow? Make sure you spend lots and lots of money on your mummy. It is Hi-Fi Radio. It's all about the money. Dig deep. Mom's worth it. And a new mother who's now celebrating her second Mother's Day, uh, Jenny Ma, Canaccord, Genuity, Reet, Analyst and expert, she covers Chartwell Retirement Residences. Uh, and again, it's all about spoiling mom, and Jennifer, Jenny's going to help us with that and analyzing the space. So thank you for coming to the show, Jenny. Thanks. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So, um, Jenny, again, you, you cover a lot of different REITs, uh, hotel REITs and uh, uh, retirement REITs. Uh, specifically, what, what makes retirement REITs unique relative to the shopping mall REITs and the uh, residential REITs? Well, apart from the obvious differences in the property type, which I'm sure we can all appreciate pretty well, one differentiator with the seniors' housing names in Canada uh, is that in addition to collecting rent from the residences, there is a component of service income, which includes what the residents pay for food and services, um, in addition to the rental income. It's all rolled into one monthly payment, um, but there are two different components of that, whereas for most of the other REITs, uh, it's really clipping a rental payment for the most part. Yeah. Jenny, my, my, my mother, we had a shop around for a uh, re- retirement residence for my mother um, in, her, in her final days. She never ended up in a, in a permanent place, but we, we, we snooped the market. And, and I saw that, all those incidental charges. And boy, can they add up. It's like every little thing mom wants, she's going to have to pay for. It's going to take a lot of money to, to house people. So how, how much are people spending, if, if you're aware, on average, uh, to, to have a comfortable retirement resident, shall I say? Well, it really depends on where you're located, uh, the kind of level of service you're asking for, and the degree of luxury also. Uh, Typically, you're looking to spend uh, several thousand dollars a month. Uh, If you can imagine, you know, if you're paying rent in the one to two thousand dollar range for an apartment uh, in in any given place, uh, the services component, that includes food, uh, laundry, and, and other services, that adds another at least a few hundred bucks, and certainly north of a thousand, depending on what you're looking for. So, so I would say in the the three thousand dollar range is what you're looking at on average, and again, that depends on location. But it really could go up to you know six, seven, eight thousand plus if you're looking for things like fine dining and some really specialized type of programs and services. 
And when you look across Canada there, Jenny, uh, do you see any differences, I guess, in the geographies, Quebec versus Ontario versus BC uh, with the seniors care? You know what? There's there's all levels of senior care to be found uh, across all geographies. Right. So I would say uh, there's pre- a pretty good mix. Uh, what you want to look for is something that suits, uh, you know, your budget, obviously, sure. your preferences. But I think for the most part, for a lot of people, it's looking for, you know, the, from my conversations with these management teams, is that generally the residents would tend to either come from really close by right. or they'll go real or they'll go somewhere that's really really far away from where they're coming from often because that's where their adult children might be sure so it's really one or the other and when you're analyzing the the REIT space and looking across the spectrum um do you consider seniors homes a, a stable uh, portion of the REIT sector versus call it uh, office or like wolfgang said, industrial, industrial. Yeah, I would say it's, it's, it's more stable than the commercial names, for sure. Right. Um, it's a little bit of a different vehicle, but it would be closer to residential than it would be for commercial. So the, uh, as far as the stability scale, I would rank it higher. Uh, but as I mentioned, there is a service component, um, so the, the income can vary a little bit more. And there's a little bit more discretion uh, with the seniors' housing because, you know, mom or dad could defer moving into it for whatever reason. Right. And if the economy's bad, they don't have to make that decision right away. Whereas if you look at a traditional rental apartment, everybody needs a place to live. So you're renting something. Right. And when you look at these places, what are the occupancy rates that you're looking at? A lot of the times when you walk in, uh, they're sort of pushing you to sign a contract in advance. That happened to you, didn't it, Doc? Your granddad. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to hold the room for you. And then when you <laughs> moved in, like 50% were vacant get, get anyways. Get a deposit down, yeah. Yeah. So what you are the what? occupancy rates that you're looking for? And is, is there capacity, I guess, both at the um, uh, seniors' homes and then also uh, seniors' care that's uh, required? It, it really depends. So there's no, uh, you know, one easy answer to that. But, you know, sure. if you look at Chartwell, for example, their occupancy rates are in the 90s plus. Right. And that's what we would expect from a high-quality, large, professionally managed portfolio. Um, so that's generally where it's at. Uh, if you look at long-term care, which is sort of the, the further level of, uh, of medical care involved, um, where you typically enter because of a medical event, right. um, the occupancy, you know, the, the, the waiting list in Ontario for that kind of asset is huge. Huge. So, not, so, so is that a supply issue? It must be a supply uh, it, issue. It is a supply issue. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the assets are somewhat uh, old and, and obsolete, um, and you know, not to mention the demand drivers that are, that will be coming down the pipe. But if you're looking at those assets, the occupancy rates are in excess of ninety seven percent, pushing a hundred percent. But Jenny, in the interest of time, I want to get one asking you on that same topic. But is, are these long term care facilities? They are governed by the government in terms of what they charge. Is that correct? They are government funded. They're government so, funded. So mm-hmm. the government, so the government will pay a certain amount uh, for someone to be admitted to this facility. Mm-hmm. So that's a lower margin business, I guess, for these. Uh, it, it is absolutely okay. a lower margin business. Uh, it would be sort of in that ten to fifteen percent range. Right. Whereas for the seniors living, uh, it would probably be in the 30 to 40% range, of course, depending on how well it's run. And, that, and that's because of all those services, I guess, that they're providing for these seniors. And again, they're making it, uh, you know, a lot of seniors enjoy living in these in these places that, you know, Chartwell has and, and Amica, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. They, they do. Uh, you know, Amica is no longer public, but right. they uh, are a very, very high-end facility. And, and they do have, you know, top-level fine dining chefs uh, who, who make amazing meals for them. They've got pools. They've got fitness programs. Sure. They, they take excursions. Um, so It's almost you know, like a lifestyle choice for them, I guess. It, it is absolutely a lifestyle choice if you can afford it. And also right. for that demographic, it's about being near people um, to social socialize with uh, and also being uh, 
you know, in proximity to care if you do need it. Oftentimes it will have, you know, doctors visiting once a week or nurses and, and physiotherapy uh, amenities. So it really helps round out the experience. Maybe, well, Jenny, when, when you reach that, that age five decades from now, may you have the finances to be able to uh, enjoy the finest in life. But I do want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Uh, and I want to thank you very kindly for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio, means of taking care of mummy, because we all love our mummy. I want to thank you all for joining to the show. Hi-Fi Radio, real pleasure. Stay thank tuned you. next week, because we got more great stuff coming at you. And do tell your friends about Hi-Fi Radio right here on AM640. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.